Hi everyone, in this video, I'll talk about my startup clinic up. Clinic up grew to see about 1100 patients. I hired 10 physicians. We got a $6 million acquisition offer and then we got sued and lost it all. I'll go in depth about the journey through clinic up and I'll give you a few tidbits, both from a founder perspective and an investor perspective as well. To give it a bit of context, I'm a physician. I am an angel investor as well. And I've had one startup, which is Clinica. Let's go back to 2020. COVID has just started. There's lots of predictions that the telemedicine space, remote monitoring space will take off. The telemedicine market in 2020 is worth about 20 billion in North America. And currently I believe it's about 26 billion. And you know, it's a really good space to be in. We tend to think of our successes as internal and our failures as external, but usually it's the opposite. Market tailwinds and market timing drive a considerable amount of success in startups, especially. And something like a big tailwind would be COVID, and it's a good tailwind to ride to success, I would say. So I'm working as a hospitalist at Surrey Memorial Hospital in Vancouver. And, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying my hospital medicine work, but I'm bored and I'm finding work very monotonous. I want something more from life. I want something more from work. I started talking to my coworker and my first co-founder, Sam. We have a similar uh, thought style and we get along well. We meet for coffee every day and we start talking about different things that could be better in medicine. At this point, I know nothing about the startup world, but I am looking at it as a good opportunity. So I started learning about startups. I started learning about you know how to start a company. And I identify a key insight, which is you have to focus on a problem you're solving and provide a clear value prop. We thought about different things in medicine that could be better, that could be more efficient, that could be cheaper, that would generate both a clinical and a financial return on investment or value. We land on travel medicine. The reason we landed on travel medicine is because it did not need a physical examination. If you think about it, when you go to the doctor, usually say you go for a belly pain or your throat hurts, we'll ask you a few questions. We'll examine your throat or your belly, and then we'll say, okay, this is what we think the diagnosis is, and this is the treatment we suggest. For travel medicine, we don't need a physical examination. We just need to ask you a few questions, and based on your answers, we recommend certain uh, treatments. If you think about it, you don't really need a human to be involved in this. A computer or a software can ask you these questions, and that was our idea. So we wrote down these algorithms or clinical decision trees on a Word document, and we said, okay, let's get this into um, a software or an app. We talked to developers from all over the world, uh, North America, Eastern Europe, India, and we got quotes from anywhere from $500,000 to $5,000. We were somewhat cheap. <laughs> this is the first mistake we made, so we went for the $5,000. We had no experience in writing code and we were not software engineers we were both physicians we really did not know if we were getting the right code or not and what ended up happening is we got an app that was somewhat working but wasn't reliable and was not compliant with the privacy laws and the regulatory standards that needed to be compliant with here so we're back to square one and we're like okay we have this app it's not really working we have written these algorithms we just need someone to code them 
we started looking for a co-founder. Luckily, a friend of my brother's and a friend of a good friend of mine um, was looking to get involved in another startup. This would be his sixth startup, and let's call him Mark. And he said, yeah, this looks interesting. I'll join you guys. As Mark joined us, we started getting things more in order. We started getting some documents we needed, like articles of incorporation and shareholders agreement, founders agreement, things like that. Two main points here are vesting and a cliff. Vesting is when you're dividing equity within your team, it should be given to your team over a set period of time. So say there's four of you and you get 25% each, you can say you get 5% per year. So you have to stay the full five years to get the 25%. This is very important to do, and I would recommend everyone does this. The standard is four years, but I would advise six years as well. The second uh, part of this is a cliff. A cliff is essentially if you leave before a certain time period, you get no equity. The standard, again, is 12 months, but you guys can decide um, what you want to do um, in terms of the time frame. So the three of us started working, and as time goes on, it's fairly clear that Sam is not able to commit to what needs to happen. And it is Mark who comes to me and says, okay, Rashad, what is what is Sam doing here? He's not He's not doing the work that needs to be done to an extent. So I have a hard conversation with Sam. I said, Sam, you can have 20% of the equity for the work you've put in so far, but me and Mark should be making decisions and me and Mark should be the operating team here. Sam says no. <laughs> He takes the brand and the initial work we've done, and he goes to form um, that company and he takes on with that. And we rebrand it as Clinica. I'll, I'll put another point here. As I was uh, building this company, I was taking advice from a couple of mentors I have, uh, Samarth and Neil, they're both friends of mine and they have their own startups. And the one key thing they said, which I ignored was, your initial team needs to complement each other and not have the same skill set. So me and Sam were both hospital medicine physicians. We have the exact same skill set. And it's essentially a duplication, which does not work early on in a startup. It's something I look for in my founders as well, is each member needs to bring their own strength and they need to uh, complement each other, not, not double up on the same skill because uh, it's, it's not needed and it doesn't work out. So we have this uh, trial medicine algorithm, but COVID happens and it's really not taking off. Uh, trial medicine has, for essentially travel has been banned in, in Canada and no one's getting trial medicine consults. We think about what else we could do. Um, we think uh, my wife brought up women's health, which is a very underserved uh, region, but to be completely frank with you, it's not something that we're not women and no, it's not something that resonated with us on a personal basis. It's something that I would like to be involved in in the future, but at that point, the time wasn't right. We talked about mental health and we talked about just general travel medicine and we landed on a blended model of those two things. Mental health was really, there was a mental health crisis which required an expansion on the mental health treatment options available. And we thought that would be a good space. And with my background as a family physician, I deal with mental health diseases quite a bit. It's about, I'd say, a third of my practice. So I had deep industry expertise um, in mental health as well. The next big decision we had to make is, do we do private pay or do we do public pay? I'm based in Canada. So private pay would mean we're, in, we're billing the government 
and we get paid about $37 per console as uh, private pay, we would be able to build privately. We uh, decided initially to do private pay as our margins would be better. We'd have more uh, control over the workflow and we could have better efficiencies. It did not work. Um, there, there was little demand for private pay in Canada where the public is used to a free model of healthcare, uh, free for end user fees anyways. So I, I interviewed about 50 clinicians, hired about three, but unfortunately, as we had no demand, we had to shift to a public pay model. As we shifted to a public pay model, we really needed help with SEO and marketing. My wife has a degree in journalism, and I'm very thankful for her for helping out during this time period. She started work, our whole social media strategy, our, our marketing strategy as well. And we got our customer acquisition cost to $5. This is both good and bad this early on in a startup. It's bad because it it somewhat means that we're leaving money on the table in terms of not prioritizing growth. And also when people talk about economies of scale and when people say, you know, our margin will be better as we get bigger, what does that actually mean? It usually means your customer acquisition cost will go down and your cost of goods will go down. And for us, our cost of goods were fixed as we were service providers, essentially um, paying our clinicians, which is a fixed cost. It's not going to go down as we scale. And our customer acquisition cost was so low, it was $5. That's not going to go down either. Essentially, as we grew, our margins would not get any better. And we had low single-digit margins being uh, billing the government for our services. So we thought about, okay, how else can we get revenue? And one thing we landed on, apart from offering private services in the parallel, which again, there's not a big demand for in Canada, to be frank with you. And the demand there is, it exists more in the cosmetic space, which we cannot do to the same extent on a telemedicine environment. Also, I'm not an expert in cosmetics. So we said, okay, let's focus more on partnerships. So we approached pharmaceutical companies. We approached mental health counseling companies who maybe needed some physician input. And we approached, initially we approached telemedicine companies. I actually had a meeting with Expedia, um, which I thought was a partnership meeting, but it turned out to be a sales call and them selling me their um, uh, advertising package. And, you know, I was very excited about that. It's something I've learned is, is, if it's not written on paper, it doesn't exist. A big pharmacy chain early on verbally offered to put us in 40 of their pharmacies, and that didn't end up panning out either. But we did get some partnerships with some great startups, Pillway, Hasu, Lightwell, and we had a bit of revenue sharing um, agreement as well. Another partnership that I was lucky to get into to an extent was Devant, which is uh, which served international students. And these students were not covered by the government, so they were all private pay. We initially offered them a free pilot, and then the plan was to convert them to a subscription model later on, which would be quite a bit cheaper than what they pay if they were to go to a, a clinic um, on the ground. I was doing all the outreach through LinkedIn, mostly messaging, uh, direct messaging, using Sales Navigator. But as we started to grow, as we had more patients sign up, uh, our numbers looked good on paper, but as I said, the margins weren't really there. Both me and Mark, we were having a, a difficult time balancing 
our work and the startup. I was working in uh, my clinic five days a week, nine to five, some evenings, some weekends. And I was working on my startup usually 6 p.m. to midnight. We thought about going part-time, but at that time we we thought if we went part-time and put the brakes on, that would hinder our growth. The other thing was I was seeing a lot of the patients. I saw the first 400 patients myself out of the 1,100. So I needed to be on. The, what the patients liked the most was how soon we got back to them. After you requested an appointment, usually our average wait time was within 30 minutes. We had you talking to a physician and getting your treatment that you needed. Um, and if no one was available, that physician was me. So I was essentially always on um, from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day. In terms of uh, fundraising, we a good friend of mine had invested $120,000, and I'm very thankful for that. But this led to more pressure to an extent on generating a profit and more growth. As I said before, the, the government pay more, there's not enough room um, for profits and for growth there. So we thought about launching into the States. We looked for a service provider there. My uh, good friend, Vakas, he uh, hired a few nurse practitioners there. And everything was set to launch, but we just wanted to get everything in order before we went there. At this time, uh, a couple of people reached out asking if I'd be interested in uh, selling the company. And given how burnt out I was and how burnt out my co-founder was, we were like, yes, yes, we would be interested. We met with a public company who offered us $6 million on the premise that they wanted to look at our P&Ls, which is a profit and loss statement. Again, I did not know what P&L was. I had to Google it when they asked for that. But we got an accountant uh, to get our uh, statements in order. Unfortunately, their leadership had some personal issues and we had to delay the acquisition. In this time, we got sued by another company in a, in a different province. It was a frivolous lawsuit. And they were saying that we are using their trademark. And their name was UpCenter, and we are ClinicUp. So I didn't see much there, but they had deep pockets. And initially, we fought the lawsuit, but they were willing to go the distance. So at this point, we have this lawsuit. We have a potential acquisition, but it's being delayed. We are growing pretty fast. And our month-to-month -month of growth is over 200%, but we are not profitable, which is okay for a startup. The problem is we don't have a path to profitability. We are just growing. And being a service provider without any significant software, the the there is really no trajectory for a hockey stick growth. We decided to close the company at this point. It was a hard decision. I think uh, my biggest learnings from ClinicUp are, number one, hire for commitment. Don't hire rock stars initially. And Adam uh, Grant talks about this in his book, Originals. As you get bigger, you hire the rock stars, rock stars and the experts. But initially, the biggest uh, predictor of uh, hiring success is hiring for commitment. Have a path to profitability.
your initial startup obviously doesn't have to be profitable, but why it's not profitable is very important. If it's not profitable because of a high customer acquisition cost or a high cost of goods cost, which as you scale will get better, then great. But if it's not profitable because the business model in itself isn't profitable and the fixed costs are too high, then that is a bad sign. My third point is all founders should bring something distinct. If there is some replication or some duplication in skills, that is a red flag. And the reason is, as you bring more people on, others will say that, why do you have two people doing the same thing? Or why do you have two people with this exact same skills? That's not to say you can learn different skills as you progress. And there is likely some cases where it's okay to have two founders with the exact same skills, but in general, you should have complementary skills. The last point I would make is something I've learned um, in the past year and from uh, my time, reflecting back on my time in Clinic Up, is you should have a structured approach to decision-making and apply intuition after your structure. So I use this in my investing in which I score each of the startups that I evaluate based on a scoring criteria. And after the scoring criteria, I apply intuition. I have a very strong proclivity to action, so I want to use my intuition all the time, but it's led to some uh, poor decision-making and it's not something I would recommend anymore. Thanks for watching, guys. And if you like this video, please uh, subscribe to my channel. I'll be having more videos like these and I'll be having more guest interviews as well.